You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. This is The Dice Men Cometh because Leon says so, and it is an episode I have been waiting years for. It is episode 316, and you know what that means, Garth? No, I really don't. 316 is an extremely important number in the world of professional wrestling, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because of Stone Cold Steve Austin and his famous Austin 316 speech, which launched the Attitude Era and, you know, went from there for the Ruthless Aggression Era. You know how I've been trying to turn this into a wrestling podcast for years and you've not <laughs> let me? This is the best chance I have because you better believe in the edit we're going to be starting this episode with Stone Cold's theme instead of our normal ukulele kicking in. So people would have just heard that and now hear me rambling on right now. Wow. Well, this is Australia's leading tabletop <laughs> wrestling podcast to talking all things you can play wrestling on, around, in, under, and over a table. Is that right, Leon? Or are we going to actually uh, talk yes. board games as well? Well, we couldn't do 300-odd episodes on wrestling board games because, sadly, there is only one good one, and that <laughs> is the Luchador Mexican Wrestling Dice, which I've talked about every year that we play at Gen Con. Not, sorry, at Gen Con, at BorderCon. And it is still the only good one out there, which is brings a tear to this wrestling nerd's heart. But what are you going to do? No, we're going to talk about all things normal board games, role-playing games, tabletop games, and all things tabletop, as we always do. And Garth, we are joined yet again by one of Australia's luminaries in the subject. Who are we talking to this evening? Well, yes, it's not very often that you have three luminaries in the one podcast. So, oh my goodness, have we rolled out the big guns for 316? Because, of course, there can be only one, and it is one Alex Winter, Head honcho from Red Genie Games, the driving force behind the TGDA, the tabletop table game designers, people, whatever it is. He will tell us all about it because that's what luminaries do. Alex, welcome to the Dice Men Cometh. Thank you. Thank you for my very lukewarm welcome for a oh, stone on. cold episode. <laughs> what, being called a luminary is not enough? I don't actually know what that means. So, <laughs> you shine bright. Compared to all of us. Pretty sure it's a word I heard in a film once and like majority of my vocabulary. Yeah, I just thought I would chuck it in there because it sounded cool. Excellent. So Alex, let me kick off some questions with the question that I seem to start almost every interview with, which is what is an Alex Winter and why should we listen to you? Oh, um, myself. Well, I am I'm very educated in board games because I can tell you that I have been listening to the Dice Men for over 150 episodes. Wow, that's almost as half as many as we have. <laughs> I'm honoured to be on here. I've been listening I was very distinctly at episode 50, which is why it makes it so easy for me to remember. Excellent. Um, I didn't bother listening to the first 50, though. Well, I'm pretty sure someone really extra luminary started at episode 50, but we'll, um, we'll leave that for another, maybe... <laughs> Some um... may say it took another 50 episodes before it really found its stride, but, you know, that's, <laughs> that's hard to say. And then he did come along and it was glass-shattering. Stone Cold reference number three or four, but continue. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. So, Alex, a lot of people play games. A lot of people like chucking dice and like getting a board game out and having fun. But when did it start for you? When when was little Alex going, I want to play this heavy Euro, Mum and Dad? 
<laughs> I don't know if it ever happened like that, but um, I guess uh, one of the first different board games that I played that wasn't, you know, your average trouble or headache or, you know, one of those Scrabble or something like that was a Cabbage Patch Kids themed board game when I was about seven. Wow. And I remember designing one in grade four about the Tasmanian tiger. Oh, there you go. That's pretty good. When's that going to see the light of day? Uh, probably never. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your story? What, you know, when when did this, you know, little little kid turn into a proper gamer? Is is that something that, you know, you've got to thank the Cabbage Patch for? I think, oh, maybe. <laughs> I think it's something I always, oh, it's always happened to me. Whenever I get really interested in something, I always wonder how I can improve it, do it better, do it differently. So, um you know, getting into board games, as soon as I started playing some, I just started working out how to to make my own. And, you know, it probably started, I think the first game I tried to make was sort of a munchkin ripoff. Yep. And then it evolved from there into much, much bigger and better things. Well, that's pretty spectacular. It is very curious, though, because I find playing games really fun. You, you must find them okay fun, but you want to break them and do them better is, is more the fun for you. Is that right? Oh, no, there are some fantastic games out there that I will look at and play and just not even attempt to make them better at all because I just love playing them. But then, again, there are, like, a lot that are good and I would really enjoy making them better. And to be honest, a lot of my friends are the same and we we end up house-ruling some stuff. Yep. I think that's a pretty good way to go, especially if you're a you know, designer by nature. That seems like a, a good way to go. But but when was that first game? What was that first big game where, you know, you might have been playing your, your standard games for a little while and you decided to go, oh, I'll take this one off the shelf or I'll go and buy something different from a game store and, and give it a go? Oh, you really put me on the spot here. I have no idea what the first big one I bought was. It might have been Dominion, which I would have played at a friend's birthday party. That's a pretty good start. We've had a yeah. lot of we've had a lot of settlers of Qatar. Not surprisingly, is the gateway game for for almost everyone. But Dominion is yeah. not a bad little choice. It's a it's a bit of a legend in the in the hobby. I come from a Magic the Gathering playing background, so when we were playing Magic, suddenly we played Dominion, which was sort of a contained Magic, and then you know it went on from there. Yeah, well, it's a much cheaper version of Magic, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of expansions for it now. Yeah, who knows? But look, let's talk about your game design hat. And um, I guess you, we, we really need to start the Alex Winter and Red Genie game story with the Brigade, don't we? That's where it all began for you? It, uh, yeah, definitely inspired a very good relationship there. Um, myself and Ben Hoban, we, we had this idea, or Ben had the idea, and he brought it to me and he said, you know, do you want to do this with me? And we, we worked at it for a very long time. We went to lots of playtesting sessions and it, and it started at one point, came to another point, came to another point and evolved very, very well. Um, we really narrowed lots of great things down on it. And I think the game is still fantastic. I still love playing it despite having played it lots and 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 lots of times. Yeah, it's still a fantastic game for me, and um, and I do love every single bit of it. Like, I love the artwork, I love the meeples, I love the cards, I love the tiles, I love the buildings, everything. It's really fun. Fantastic. So, look, for those people who have been living under a, a fantasy firefighting rock and don't know what the brigade is, what's your 30-second elevator pitch to get people to take it off the shelves and part with their cash? I haven't done this for ages. Um <laughs> The Brigade, it is a fantasy firefighting game, uh, not just 
it's not just firefighting, it's competitive firefighting where wardens are vying to become the fire chief by attempting to douse flames from a mysterious firestorm gathered around a pyromancer university in the centre of town. Absolutely. Sounds like you almost wrote the uh, the rule book there. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I did well. It, it has been a long time since I pitched the, the brigade to anyone. So, I mean, look, it, it must be said that the brigade was a, a pretty spectacular success. It made virtually 145,000 Australian dollars. And when I go to the top list of Australian tabletop games, it's still there sitting as number 10 in the most funded list. So that's got to be something you're proud of. Wow, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> wow. Most people Definitely. have a lot of sneaky ways to get some <laughs> Um, yeah, I am definitely proud of it. I'm very proud of the game itself. Um, there were there were things I was unha- unhappy about, but it wasn't the game. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, look, I think you know, um, it's nothing, no secret that having a, a Kickstarter success it comes with blessings and curses, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, but look, we've got we've got copies of there, and I've certainly played it lots of times. It is really really fun, and there is so much replayability in this game. And there's, again, firefighting, obviously, for most people, you know, the, the one that springs to mind is Flashpoint, but it's just nothing like it. It's absolutely its own game. You really get the fantasy element. You really get the firefighting element. And, oh, my God, watching it's Tinderbox, isn't it? Just burn yeah. to the ground or while you <laughs> attempt to save it. Oh, man, it's stressful. But it I do. it's a punch. Yeah, the events really make it work when you see like a couple of little fires start, then a couple of little fires get bigger, then the wind blows and the whole town's on fire and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> Absolutely. But surely that that must have really set you on course for, you know, trying to make more games actually come to fruition. I think the law inspired me the most, which was um, written by Ivan and Ben. And like Ivan had a lot of the, the background information and did all the buildings and Ben helped with all the character development. And I think the lore is what really inspired me to make more games within that circle. Like the, every other game that I've worked on, I'm like, how can this fit into the same theme as the Brigade? How can this fit with these characters? How can this fit with this building sort of thing? Yeah, and I think that's great because it does suck you in with all the the really well-written stories and the the little, I think you had some zines going on as well, didn't you? Yeah, um, there was a Fool's Haven RPG zine, um, which is sort of a, a supplementary text that people could use in their role-playing stuff. Yeah, fantastic. Well, congratulations on having a game that is still top 10 Australian-funded tabletop games. That's, um, that's not bad considering it was a few years ago now. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> there you go. So you've learned something for the day. So what did you move on to after that? Um, after the Brigade, we, uh, we wanted to do something a little bit smaller because the Brigade was very big and, as you said, comes with blessings and curses. Um, so we moved on to uh, a game that fit into a small box that was shaped like a book because we really love that uh, aesthetic. And... The uh, book boxes were going to all be called the Something Tales based on uh, Chaucer. So the first one we released was called The Damsel's Tale, which was about a knight trying to sneak into a cave to steal a treasure, a crown, from a baby dragon. Yes. And we will talk about that one later. Don't you worry. But should we maybe go to, is it The Barmaid's Tale? The Barmaid's Tale will hopefully be there as well but it has sort of stalled due to covid because getting five or six players around a table is very hard 
Yeah, absolutely. But, <laughs> but again, you know, this is a this is a look. It's a game built around, I guess, storytelling, really, isn't it? Yeah. So the Barmaid's Tale is it. It was sort of inspired by a role player as well. So this is Ivan's design, and I helped sort of develop it a bit. But he started off with this simple push a luck betting mechanic. And then we started telling stories about it. And then we started moving things around a bit more. And basically it's a game of blame. So everyone's sitting around a tavern table and you're trying to work out whose fault it is that the quest failed. So if it was my turn and I started, I'd say, oh, we we had to go on this quest and there was this necromancer and the necromancer needed a crystal because he kept summing up animated gherkins instead of animated zombies. And we had to go and get that crystal. But we couldn't get the crystal because Garth, he he ate the necromancer's sandwich and it really annoyed him and he didn't tell us where to get it from. And then you would take that that essence of the story and then accept that but then blame someone else for something else that went wrong. And the story goes around a couple of times and it has a, a finality. So at, at one point someone can't continue the story and they have to take the blame and that's sort of the end of the first round and it keeps going you know, round after round. You make up new quests, make up new stories and why it's not your fault. <laughs> it's a very good skill to have being able to pass the blame onto someone else. I must have said. <laughs> so it's not just a game, it's a, it's a life lesson as well, I reckon. I've heard lots of fun stories. Like the things that people have come up with have just been brilliant. Um, like I'm not a role player, I'm not really a storyteller, but then when I play this game, like it is fun. You, you come up with these really interesting responses and and why it's someone else's fault is also very important. Yeah. So is it a game that's going to come out, hopefully, fingers and toes crossed? Is it, is it just one of those, you know, it's on that back burner and we'll see how life and the universe and the world gets back to reality soon? Pretty much, yeah. Um, ben and I have a couple of other projects in the works that we can hopefully release before then. Um, one of the projects I'm working on is with another designer called Ricky, and it's a witch-based game. So it's you don't want to be the witch, so you want the fingers pointing the other way. Yep. And uh, and it's a great two-player game, which we hope will entice a lot of people in COVID isolation. Okay. So we'll have the witch tales too as well, hey? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> Excellent. But we, we better talk about a, a pretty big license and a pretty big game that... Um, you know, is something that you've been working on. And I, I guess is, it's, it's completed in terms of the Kickstarter has finished, but no one's got copies yet. So we're, we are talking the Phantom. Yes. Which is, you know, it's a license that's loved by a lot of people. It is, the guy with purple underpants. Yeah. So the Phantom is was an amazing license to work with. We got to work with uh, amazing cover artists and comic artists and the license holders who have done a lot of work with Phantom in Australia. Uh, and we also got to work with the person that is mostly responsible for Kid Phantom, which is a series they released to entice the younger audience into getting into the Phantom as well. So uh, it it has been an amazing experience. I don't recommend it for anyone, um, <laughs> but it definitely has taught me a few things about licensed products and and, and what happens with them and uh, and your expectations, yeah. Um, so how did that actually come about? Was it they coming to you or was it you just sitting there one day just going, flicking through the paper, seeing the Phantom and going, I reckon I could make a game out of that guy with the funny underpants. <laughs> well, 
It is a funny story. So I did the Phantom game. It wasn't just me. It was with my brilliant friend, Dale McCanty, and he is a writer and he he does a lot of work with the indie comic book scene and comic books in general. So he writes them and helps direct them and he's released a few. He's even got a Guinness World Record for it, actually. He came to me with an idea and um, he sort of pitched it to me and said, do you want to come on this crazy ride with me? That was his exact words. Um, and do you repeat them back to him over and over again now? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Every time I get asked this question. Um, yeah, so he came to me with this idea and I said, yeah, sounds great. And we started working on this plan. Again, we we started with one concept, it changed, changed, changed. We came up with other ideas and changed into this temple run, sort of like run into a temple, grab what you can, and then run out again and survive. So we came up with this plan. Then, you know, like half a year later or whatever, we've been working on this design for a while and he called me up and he said, oh, I just sent you an email. I'm like, oh, okay. He said, read this. And he sent me an email and it was a comic and it was a phantom comic and it was number two out of three. And I read the comic and I said, this is our game. Mm -hmm. He's gone, it is exactly our game. We literally had to change, uh, there's, there's traps in the temple. Yep. And then it was exactly the same as this story in The Phantom. And I said, well, what do you want to do about this? And he said, oh, well, he got his hand out and he counted. He's like, well, I've already found out who owns the license worldwide. I found out who who's the license holder in Australia. I've already got their email address and phone number and I have called them and asked if they want to hear our pitch. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And a week later, we flew to Sydney. It was just, a, you know, straight up, hey, you want to have this meeting yet? We'll have this meeting. All right, cool. We'll book our tickets. So we booked our tickets, flew to Sydney. We got there on Friday afternoon. Uh, we stayed at night in a very dodgy hostel. And then the next morning, we went and had our meeting. It was quite funny that night, actually, Friday night, Dale wanted to have everything perfect. So we went down to the local, the friendly local gaming store and we bought purple sleeves for the cards because he's like, we've got to have purple sleeves for the cards. <laughs> and we bought them, we went home, went back to the hostel and then we counted out the sleeves and it was a packet of 60 sleeves and it was only 59. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to go to the gaming store in the morning before going to the Phantom headquarters and we had to get a packet of black sleeves because they didn't have any more purple ones. No. So... Um, yeah, that was a bit of a waste, wasted trip. But um, anyway, we went into the meeting, um, we nailed it, and then um, they started talking about money and Dale's like, nah, we prefer this, you know, really cool, calm and collected. And I was like, what are you doing? We just want the opportunity. And he's like, nah, we need better. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they accepted the deal and and we started working on it from there. Wow. And is that where the name changed to Treasures of Dracon? Yes, yes, it did, because it was related to the comic book, which, yeah, so there's a series of three, and it ended up that Dale got the opportunity to write the prequel and the sequel, so now it's a series of five okay, as well, which all gets released with the game as a trade paperback, which is fantastic. That's pretty cool. Leon, 
I like to hear the word trade paperback. That's just music to my ear. But um, <laughs> I remember when you first told us about the what the Phantom game that was coming. It was you know several years ago now. Yes. And I had a, a couple of weeks later, I went and saw the Australian comedian Sammy J, who does a show that had a lot to do with him talking about his Phantom comic book collection. And yep. at the end of the show, weirdly enough, I met him because he was friends of a friend of mine. And so I was chatting to him and um, I was just chatting away. And I happened to mention the fact that, oh, I know a guy, an Australian board game designer that's about to. And pretty much as soon as I said that, his eyes just lit up and it's just been like, I heard something about this too. This is amazing. And it was so weird because there's an Australian, a proper actual famous Australian person that I'm a fan of was all of a sudden very interested in talking to me because <laughs> of what he'd heard about it. So he was very excited. So phantom people around the world must have been just going mad. I did I did get the opportunity to have a small chat to him. It wasn't like a massive chat, but he did a lot to help us out too. I actually got to meet one of his best friends, Duncan Munro, which is what that entire set was about. And I, I got to see that show as well. It was fantastic. We got to see the very last one where Duncan Munro was actually there and <laughs> brought out a special custom design, a uh, custom drawn illustration by Cy Barry for Sammy J and like he was like crying on stage it was it was very emotional to see but yeah Sammy helped us out he even did the intro to our Kickstarter which was fantastic as well yeah that's pretty amazing now speaking of the Kickstarter I'll just have a look and it, it says it shipped in December 2019 <laughs> How, how's yes. that going yeah no it's it's uh yeah definitely like I said I do not recommend working with licensed products the amount of hot loops and and things that you have to jump through is incredible. So I think after we got our final box prototype, uh, sorry, production copy and our minis production copy, which eventually came through after changes requested by license holders, uh, we got that. We then had to ship it. And this is at the start of COVID. Uh, we had to ship it to the license holder number one who then had to ship it to license holder number two, who then had to ship it to license holder number three. And all of this was with COVID delays and uh, other delays that I can't talk about. And it sat with all of them for a very long time before they shipped it as well, because they had to go over it with a fine tooth comb because every single thing in it has to be approved by each license holder up the chain and then sent back down the chain for any changes. And to our amazement and um, I guess the care that Dale and I took to producing this piece, there was only one change that had to be changed. Okay. And that was putting something on the cover that signified that it was a licensed product. Got so so that's pretty good. The amount of care we did really paid off in the end. Yeah. So how's it looking now? When are, when are backers going to get their copy? That is an amazing question. It is currently in production. Yep. So it takes about 45 days to 60 days for production. And then after that, we give it to the fulfillment companies. The fulfillment companies send it. So it should be a few months. Okay. He's hoping, yes. eh? Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. So surely there's some other IP you want to sink your teeth into straight away, don't Definitely you? Definitely not. No? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's move on to something that is more your speed. And we are going to talk about The Damsel's Tale, this little two-player game where it is knight versus dragon in a battle to the 
to the death or to the treasure stealing, I guess? How do you want to describe it? Well, it is asymmetrical, so you both have different goals. So the knight has, he's he's down on his luck and he's gotten this job that will restore his family's honour. And he, uh, he he knows about, he gets hired to do this, this little job. So he gets into the cave and he realises that there's a baby dragon there. But it's fine because the baby dragon is small. It can't hurt Ivan. So all he has to do is sneak up, doesn't have to hurt anyone, take the treasure and run out. But all babies come with mothers. Correct. So the baby dragon has to prove to its mother that Ivan exists. Now, Ivan is pretty sneaky. He runs around the cave. He hides behind things. So if the mum comes out and Ivan's hiding, then the mum goes back and ignores the baby for a little bit. But if the mum comes out and sees Ivan, then the baby wins. Okay. And there you have your two goals. Yep. Fair enough. And it's look, it's a really compact little game, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a it can fit in a little backpack or a purse or something. So it's one of those portable games you can take with you. At its bare minimum, it's 18 cards and a board and a meeple. Yeah. And I, I know we were, were lucky enough to have a copy sent to us, so we were able to play it a few times, and it was a perfect game to play at the pub because it was so easy to fit on any size little table. Um, we were able to not make sure we spilled our beers around it, which was very, very good. And it plays really quick. So, you know, it's one of those games that, you know, is, should be in someone's collection for those spare 15, 20, 30-minute times where you're just waiting for someone to turn up for a bigger game or it's the end of the night and there's just you and one other person left. So it certainly fits that niche. And how's it, how's it going? How can people get a copy if they're interested? Uh, we are selling them through the website. So if you just go to reginigames.com and you go to the shop, you can find the damsel's tale there. Yep. And what's the damage on it at the moment? I think it's about $50, but I, I yep. can't remember. That's <laughs> well, pretty good for a game these days. There's a lot of games that are three and four times that price. That's for sure. Well, when I said before, it's it, you know at its bare minimum, it's only eighteen cards. It's only eighteen cards that you're really playing with. The game itself has a lot more in it. Yeah. Um, it's got special characters and um, and a three player board on the other side. So it's not just two player. You can play a three player where you have two knights jostling for the crown. Fantastic. Now let's switch tack and talk about the TGDA Tabletop Game Designers Association Australia. Australia. There we go. <laughs> Excellent. So what's your role in that and why is it important? Um, I am currently the president. Um, that doesn't mean I'll always be the president, but I am currently the president. Yeah. And um, my role is to try and get things done at the moment. <laughs> so um, I come up with a lot of ideas and I, and I try and push for these ideas to become a reality. Um, so one of them recently was the digital showcase that we did, uh, which was a sort of like a pitch thing done over Zoom, which we recorded and then put on YouTube for our TGDA people and anyone else who wants to do it. And it was a really good experiment because usually before PAX, which we didn't get to enjoy this year, we would have something called DevCon. And DevCon is sort of a networking event where you get to talk to everyone in the TGDA that has come down for PAX. And you get to talk to them, you get to see what they're up to, you get to look at a game that they might have brought with them, a prototype, you can play it, and they can play yours. And then we also do educational talks. So being in COVID times, obviously this was cancelled. Now we eliminated one of those factors by having a digital DevCon earlier in the year, which was fantastic. We had three very famous designers and such on the show, uh, which was really, really good because they each gave a, a 
good educational talk. And we recorded that and that's on the TGDA YouTube as well. And then I thought, but no one gets to see what anyone's working on. Like we, we chat in the group, but you know, no one really sees it except for random pictures here and there or a small discussion here and there. And then there's so much you miss because we've got quite a few members and a lot of people that post stuff. So I wanted to try and get that that visual going. So we, we went with a digital showcase where everyone got a 10-minute slot and you got to show people the game that you were working on or a game that you wanted published or an upcoming game or something. We even had Ludo Cherry on. I mean, you guys spoke to Phoebe not long ago. That's right. And um, we also had Rocky who didn't really show a game but wanted to share experience, which is fantastic too. So we did gain a lot of valuable information from that too, which we want to sort of refine and reassess how we're going to do that next time, uh, whether we're going to do it for other designers or publishers or whatnot and invite that sort of area to to watch the show and how we're going to broadcast that as well. So. It, it is something that we I enjoyed doing and I think is going to have a spot later on in the future as well. Yeah, and I think it serves a really valuable purpose because Australia being such a vast geographical country, to be able to have this online location where designers from anywhere around the world, let alone around in Australia, um, can can basically share ideas and bounce you know uh, information back and forth and say, you know, here's a couple of versions of a card I'm putting together. Who likes what and why? Just to, to get the brains trust really going. So it's a really valuable resource. We do need to, you know, put a full disclaimer out there and says that the Dice Men do support the TGDA. We give you five bucks a month, I think, and um, our logo appears somewhere on a website. Um, but that's because we, you know, as you hopefully our, our listeners will know, we um, will always happily talk about Australian games. We will always say things honestly and we'll happily say if an Aussie game is not that great but we'll always give it a a, its chance in the sun you know yeah definitely you guys have been very supportive of Australian games um the whole time I've been listening to you well there you go well that's yeah don't listen to episode one through to 49 we hated Australian (laughs) games (laughs) not (laughs) so what what's the future hold for you mate what what have you got you know once you know, the phantom is done and dusted and, you know, it's it's in the hands of backers. What's, you know, what's, you know, the future looking like for Alex Winter? Look, I just, I just love creating stuff, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's sort of, it's in my DNA. I, I don't spend a moment at home doing nothing. I'm always doing something. I'll sit in front of the TV with my wife, we'll watch TV, but I'm going to be doing something on my laptop or, you know, on my cutting mat or paintbrushes, something, drawing, doesn't matter. So, I mean, I, I just... I can't stop creating. I just love creating stuff. So I will just keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds all right. And hopefully some of them come to fruition in terms of, you know, the general public get to experience them. Is it Has sort of your Kickstarter experiences taught you that maybe, you know, finding games yourself, coming up with them, um, you know, with you and collaborators is probably the way to go, not to, not to find a behemoth again and um, try and wiggle that um, particular maze? <laughs> it's true. I, I think... The Kickstarter has wisened me to what designs will be more acceptable on that medium. And I think that I will, yeah, I'll be a bit more selective about what I would want to put up on Kickstarter. But to be honest, I'm also, I'm doing things that don't necessarily have to be published. Like my girls, I've got two daughters, they're growing up. Um, They're very small at the moment, but my four-year-old 
daughter, she has loved playing some some games with me. I've taught her quite a few now. She she kicks my butt at Kings of Tokyo. Um, <laughs> she doesn't know what the cards mean, but she never leaves and always beats me. <laughs> never leaves the city. <laughs> and I can't I can't stop her because she doesn't want to get out. But she loves she loves like rolling the dice and buying the cards and putting the points on. I taught her lanterns the other day, which oh, she cool. enjoyed. Uh, and she also plays Ticket to Ride New York with me because that's sort of the shortened version. It's very fast. Yeah, I, I haven't heard of Ticket to Ride, so I'm not too sure about that game, but I'm sure Leon's probably got a copy. Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> I've heard this. But I've, I'm sort of working on a game that I hope she will enjoy playing, so I'm taking the elements that she likes out of all these games and trying to merge them into one that she will play, learn, and know and play it properly. Like we play Ticket to Ride, but it's not fully competitive. We play Kings of Tokyo, but she doesn't know what the cards are. We played Lanterns. She doesn't really know what the points mean, but she bought the cards anyway. Gotcha. You know, I want to do something that we can do together that's sort of asymmetrical that maybe other dads and daughters can also do. That sounds pretty good. And there's definitely a market for it. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Well, Alex, thank you very much for you know spending your time with us and, and giving us a little bit of a background into the Red Genie game story, all the games that you have created, and obviously the the really important role that that you are playing in TGDA. Because as I say, it's a you know it's a genuinely massive resource for a lot of Australian designers. And please do yourself a favour and jump onto the website and the Facebook page and just have a look at the great conversations that are happening because it is it is you know a, just a fantastic place for ideas to to meet and run into each other. So for anyone who's Australian out there who wants to to design games, use that resource because if you have come up with an idea, there's a fair chance that, you know, someone on TGDA will be able to support you through that project. Definitely. Excellent. Well, look, thank you very much. How can people find you on the internets and the socials should they want to? <laughs> I've got a Facebook page called Games by Alex Winter. And we also do a Red Genie Games Facebook page. I'm also on TGDA quite a lot. So add me as a friend. I'm happy to have any designers as friends. And I am on the Twitterverse as at BG. There we go. Well, look, we normally say this every week, so we'll say it every week again. We are at Dice Men Cometh on all of the things. So please join us, follow us, like us, hashtag us, all those kind of things. That would be really, really wonderful. But Alex, you are kind enough to stick around for the second part of the show. We're actually going to talk about a game and not just any old game, a game that we will not forget about hang on no i can't i'm trying to figure out a way to, to get forgotten waters into the name of the conversation but i can't make it work leon sorry no you've done that quite terribly so alex is going to stick around so unlike normal we're not going to slag the guest off now because he's going to actually be around for a little <laughs> oh, no, we can we'll just stick him on mute it'll be fine okay that's fine no, that's yeah. completely fine so yes as garth said after the break we will be talking about forgotten waters a game we played just after restrictions were lifted and we actually had seven physical people in a physical room playing a physical game and and oh what an experience it was but we will talk about that right after this and i knocked my microphone that's not good for anybody <laughs> no but it is very professional leon so look we better cut ourselves into an ad break and we'll be back after this something something Hello everybody, it's your friendly neighbourhood Leon here. Just a quick break in the action to remind everybody how you can interact with the Dice Men. Of course, we are on all those social medias. So things like your Instagrams, your Facebook, your Twitters. We're on all of them at Dice Men Cometh. You can also email us at thedicemencometh at gmail.com. That's a great way to get in touch with us for things like 
asking any type of questions, but also sponsorship. We've been doing that for several years now with various different promotions and ads, and you can be involved in that too if you like. Also, if you wish to help the Dice Man Cometh, you can get onto iTunes and chuck us one of those cheeky five-star reviews. It helps people from around the world get to listen, and we've met some great international listeners because of that. So the more you can do that, the merrier. And if you would like, we also have our Patreon. You can go over there and chuck us a few bucks, completely up to you. Even if you threw us a dollar a month, you would not notice out of your bank account, but we certainly would. If everybody listening to my voice did that, we would be happy as Larry. And we use that money to good effect. We use it to get to various different conventions all around Australia. It ain't easy getting around this big old country that we have, but we manage and we do it because we want to meet you and play as many games as possible. Or you could jump over to redbubble.com, chuck in the Dice Men Cometh, and have any of our merch with our logo on it. We've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, there are mugs, there are heaps of cool stuff over there. I've got quite a bit of it, and it all looks grand. So, with all that being said, thank you very much for listening and supporting us over the years. We absolutely love doing this show, and hopefully we'll be doing it for a long time to come, and your support is one of the main drivers of that. So feel free to get in touch about anything to do with board gaming or anything whatsoever. But enough of my chit-chat, back to the action. Well, there you go. Well, that was either a song or it was us telling you to give us some money. So on that note, this is The Dice Men Cometh. We have to say thank you to LFG, looking for gamers for their continued support. And Leon is finally going to do some talking and tell us about a game that he and I have played in the same room, on the same table, at the same time, in the same location, but with very different outcomes. I wouldn't say very different outcomes. It was roughly the same-ish because it was kind of co-op-ish. Uh, so we are talking about a game that has been uh, one of the biggest games of the year, I think, from, from hype alone, although a lot of people probably haven't had a chance to get it to the table because this is a game that is best off with more people than merrier. And that is a game called Forgotten Waters by Plaid Hat Games. Now, those guys tend to do pretty good games regardless, but this one is getting a, a lot of love. So it plays between three to seven. We played it with a full um, group of seven when we played it, and it ran completely smoothly. It is a game that... If people go, oh, seven-player game, and it's not like a party game, that's going to take hours. It really didn't make that much of a difference. Um, the recommended number of people to play for this is five. I reckon that's probably about right, but five, six, or seven is where it would be fine. Anything less than that, you are using slightly different mechanics as a kind of, like, you know, as an automatum type thing, but none of them are that big a deal. They seem to you'd be right regardless. Absolutely, but it must be said, it does take hours. And oh, that yeah. is something that going into the game, you really need to be aware of, but I'm sure we'll get to that. No, it is not a short game. However, they do make, you know, for ways to make that a bit easier for you, which, as Garth said, we will talk about. So it was designed by J. Arthur Ellis, Isaac Vega, and Mr. Bistro. Now, do any of you guys know who the hell Mr. Bistro is? No, but I want to eat at his restaurant. Never heard of him. Well, I'd never <laughs> heard of it either. Uh, I saw it on BGG and went, what the hell? Is this some sort of in-joke or is this some sort of collaboratory thing that I don't know about? And then I clicked on Mr. Bistro's profile, which I'm going to read to you now word for word. So just indulge me for a few seconds here. Mr. Bistro is the heart of Plaid Hat Games, meaning he's red, full of blood and makes a mess if you squeeze him. <laughs> As a small child, Bistro's mother refused to let him play with those demonic video game machines. So she turned his board games as a means of compensation. He's been tragically uncool ever since. 
Mr. Bistro has playtested countless of games products over the years and has a few games credits to his name. His career didn't really take off until he met the notoriously bad businessman, Kobe Douch thus allowing his worst ideas to be unleashed upon the world. In addition to Dungeon Run, be on the lookout for future title hits such as Hot Dog City, Battle for the Chili Wieners, Cripes, Look at the Pipes, and of course his magnum opus, Poppin' Joe. Now, I'm imagining that's a lot of in-jokes there that none of us at all understand, except the people at Plaid Hat probably find that hilarious. Either that or it is an actual person and they are real things, and to which case... I apologise for offending you, Mr. Bistro. I'm sure I've heard of Mr. Bistro <laughs> plenty of times before. However, yeah. I couldn't name any of the games off the top of my head, but they're going to be the uh, the Plat Hat ones, yes. Well, Dungeon Run is one of them, so there you go. So, yeah, yeah. Forgotten Waters, a game by Plat Hat. It is a new game in their Crossroads series, which, of course, started with Dead of Winter many, many years ago, and everyone thought, oh, this system is brilliant. They're just going to keep pumping these out. And then they didn't for years and years and years. They then released a game called Gen 7, which everyone was looking forward to. And then everyone saw one review of it and went, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so there've been no others. And now this one, which is not really a crossroad game either. So they just like using the words crossroads. They think it's cool written down onto boxes. Oh, I don't funny. know about that. I, well, I think we have to talk about that because I think it definitely is a crossroad game. Yeah, anyway. So it's set in a fantastical pirate adventure. In players take on the role of pirates sailing together on a ship, attempting to further their own personal stories as well as a common goal. The world of Forgotten Waters is a silly and magical with stories designed to encourage players to explore and laugh in delight as they interact with the world around them. It is a game in which you cho choices can leave a lasting impact on the story and players want to turn over every rock to see what they find, which I think is a pretty good description of the game. It is a story-driven game and it is quite an entertaining one. Yeah, absolutely it is. And how many stories does this particular sort of version come with? Is it is it three stories that it comes with? Nope. The opening box has five stories with it. Wow. And that's good. we have only played the physically the first story so far. And it took about four hours or so. However, every single one of these stories does have a specific part right in the center. So around the 90 minute two hour mark where there is a save mechanic so you could save it completely and then set it up to do the second half of the story either later that day or the next week or later on and it looks to work pretty well yeah and look it must be how said, long did this take you guys to play it four hours pretty much and that was with seven the first people. time and that was accurate yep and that was seven people that of course had never played it before we'd all watched a um, a YouTube video. I want to say it was a Rodney. I believe there was a 20 minute video, but all this game is not very difficult to explain once you put it down. And we played this a couple of months ago now, but I think I, I think I could whip it out right now and play quite happily. I think the main reason that it's going to turn out to, to play pretty much the time that it says on the box is because the app is critical to this yes. particular game and more so than Dead of Winter, because it didn't have an app. It had a deck of crossroad cards. Yes. And I haven't played Gen 7 like almost everyone else hasn't bothered to play, 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 <laughs> play Gen 7 because of the shut up and sit down review. But this one, the app is the game. It's, it's yes. almost that full stop. Now, I must say that 
although app-driven games are kind of a thing at the moment, they do tend to turn me off a little bit for the simple fact that because we're quite lucky in that what we're doing with this show and me and Garth are quite lucky to have a little bit of the old spare money kicking around from time to time, we play a lot of new games. So we don't get a chance to replay a lot of games. So when I have a game that's going to sit in my collection, I'm well aware that even though I love it, I might not get to play it for years, maybe even years and years and years and years. So having apps kind of scares me a little bit because although they're the rage right now, you know, VHS was the rage at one point and now trying to find a VHS player, but it is also a website and I don't imagine websites are going away anytime soon. So even if you're a bit scared of the whole app, it is a website. And the thing that why this game is so good with its app is that it explains everything, how the setup works, how everything works and how the story works. But it also, it is completely a hundred percent for the first five scenarios, completely voice acted by, by a mile, the best storytelling and voice acting in board gaming to date. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And look, it's got to be said that the world of pirate games in board gaming can be a very hit or miss affair. You know, for me, games like um, Merchants and Marauders is awesome. And it really captures that, you know, spirit of being a pirate. But then you go to something like Maracaibo, which is an awesome game, but you don't feel like a pirate because you, you're kind of not. You're just sailing around islands, picking up stuff and dropping it elsewhere. Yeah. Alex, what do you think about the whole piratey world of board games? I find almost all pirate board games have never grasped that pirate nature before. I think uh, there's only one that I've played that really feels piratey, which is Libertalia. Yeah, and okay. none others have done that. But this one, this one was good. Yeah. I was about to say Libertalia is, I think, the only pirate game I actually have in my collection. And to be honest... I don't necessarily know if the theme of that is overly super strong. It's just that the mechanics of Libertalia are really, really cool. I agree. But anyway, I'd still play Merchants and Marauders over those two. <laughs> yeah, but it's so <laughs> long and whatever else. But either way, so the way that this game works is that you're going to be taking control of characters and you'll be going to getting a character sheet put in front of you because there is some role-playing aspects to this. You're going to be giving a, um, it's a destiny, basically, which is like a prerequisite, a pre-backstory for your character. And you're going to be filling that in with all you need is four or five different creative little words to come up with. And they're going to be a part of your backstory. Some of them can be funny things. Some of them can be, you know, important items. Some of them could be other members of your crew you'll put in there, which means that you'll interact with the other members of your crew, even though you've just invented these things yourself, which is a great little mechanic. Yeah, I, look, that's, it's like just, RPG light. You're dipping yes. your toe. It's not something that scares new players. Like saying to a new person, come around to my place and we'll play Dungeons and Dragons. All you need to do is roll your constitution, your decks, your da 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 da. You've got to come up with your backstory, all this stuff, and turn up and don't stuff it up. This is not that. It, it comes with these beautiful little booklets that you've got. You just fill out your name, fill it, as you say, Lee, on a few key words, and the game is ready to go. You press play on the app and it guides you through basically the setup process. Uh, one of the really good things is that the Plat Hat Games released these as printable files as well. So after you've got all of the ones in your box, you can just go and print them off again. Yeah, exactly. So it is unlimited and you can, because of those words you put in there, even though the stories might be roughly the same, they can, they'll be slightly different. Uh, and then everyone has that, plus they extra get a job on the ship. And that's what you're actually going to be physically doing. Like, that's what your part of this co-op board game is. And they are so unbelievably simple. Like, for instance, if you're the quartermaster, you get given a board in front of you that has, like, I think, one to ten written on it. 
because it's not even a board it's just a bit of cardboard that has one to ten and you've got this little barrel on it and when you have to use supplies you move that up and down and that is majority of what nearly everybody has to do there's only one or two people that actually have to do something a little bit more than that so because of the app it does 90 percent of the game for you it doesn't necessarily play the game for you because you're still making your decisions you're still going along with what you're doing but a lot of the faff i guess is the best way to put it is being taken care of already oh look absolutely those roles they they could all be handled by the app but it, it gives each player something to do and, yes. and it's that that simple it, it gives players the ability to move things around a little board it, it allows players to write stuff down when you go into new coordinates it it keeps you engaged in what other people are doing because you know, there'll be certain turns where someone else is having their turn, but it requires you to adjust the thing that you're in charge of. So it, it yeah. keeps the the table in sort of involved in the whole game, not just your particular go. Yeah. So the main person that the main player that's going to be controlling the most important thing is the person that actually flips over the pages of the book. And now this book is Plaid had been doing this for a while now. It started, I think, with stuffed fables and they've moved on to a few other things where the book is your the board, basically. So there's 30 different beautiful locations that you can go to and they're all different and they all change depending on how the story moves along. So the way that they'll do it is they'll flip over to the certain page they're told to. It could be in the middle of a big battle on the sea. It could be a jungle. It could be a desert. Could be a port town you've got to. They'll flip over that book and then there'll be some writing written down the um, other side of the page. So what you'll do then is there'll be seven different categories or sometimes more, sometimes less of like actions you can do when you go to that location. But next to it, there are more specific things you can do once you've gone and chosen that action. Now that bit you have to cover up quickly or just not look at, which is kind of the only negative I have about this entire game is that they say, don't look it over there because you're not supposed to know specifically what's going to happen. You just want to give a rough action. You want to be given a um, fight the pirates action as opposed to if you fight the pirates, here are your three outcomes. You don't want to know that because that kind of spoils it. So in the game, they don't give you anything to cover those sentences with, but uh, we printed one off from uh, Board Game Geek and then my wife did the cool tea staining and burning thing and laminated it and it was really cool, although she shouldn't have had to do that. <laughs> So when um when I was talking before about how I always wanted to improve things or work out things, this is one of the flaws that you just mentioned. And I thought that's something that could have easily been fixed by having a slightly longer page that just folds over and covers up what happens. They could have had your actions on one side and then you fold it open and you can see what happens. I completely agree, Alex. And Leon and I... <laughs> When we were playing this, we're going, why Why isn't that exact idea in the game? It just seems absolutely almost deliberate that it wasn't in there. It seems like such a foolproof idea to put it in there <laughs> and it wasn't. You just go, I'm sure there's a reason, but it just makes no sense. No. So you kind of do need something to cover it up. You can't not look. In the rule book, it specifically says, just don't look over there, but you can't help, but your eyes will your eyes will just wander. So either way, you cover that up. You put your standee um, in initiative order or fame order, I think it is, or uh, infamy order, I should say, because they're evil pirates, uh, on the different actions. And some people will get annoyed because some of them you can go to with lots of people, some of them you can't. And when you go to these different locations, you can, you'll be going after certain stats that you're trying to improve on your little character sheet. And that's in order to get the best story outcome for yourself possible. So like I said, you're always working for yourself, but working for the crew and the captain at the same time. So there's always something going on, no matter what you do. And as it says in the description, you do want to turn over nearly every stone because you want to get every bit of this game you can possibly get your hands on. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I mean, you can 
obviously because the only other crossroads game that I've played is Dead of Winter. There are, you know, the, the fact that it's a crossroads game, there are there are comparisons that you've got to try and draw. But this, for so much more, is a storytelling and, for the most part, cooperative game where really, yes, you are being a little bit selfish, but there's no real times where I felt that I was deliberately screwing over my crewmates. No. All Very, you can really like, do is go to and do an action that maybe they wanted to do, but it's not the end of the world, really. No, exactly. Or you might steal a piece of treasure from them, which we haven't really talked about what treasure is yet, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit annoying, but it's not going to ruin their game. It's going to yeah. ruin the next minute and a half, maybe. Yeah, so the treasures are thing. They're just items that you can get throughout the game, and you can steal them back and forth throughout. The, like you would, a pirate crew would steal them back and forth from each other because you're on you know, the high seas and you're bored. But they can come in handy for doing specific actions as well as improving your characters later on. So there's lots of different opportunities. The thing is with this game as well that apparently the solo rules for this game are quite good. So you know the box says three to seven, but apparently the solo rules play quite well and the th another thing about this game is that apparently you can play this online if somebody if one person has a physical copy of this apparently they've got it set up on a website that you can play this online brilliantly now is that the thing alex that you watched the playthrough of uh i watched no i watched physical playthroughs ah okay because um i believe it was shut up and sit down that did a playthrough where one of them had a physical copy everyone else just had this like simulation website up in front of them and they ran it from there. So if you're sitting there in a place in the world where you're thinking, I'm not going to, this game sounds great, but I'm not going to be able to get this many people around. Um, if you're fine with playing stuff online, it can be done relatively well, which is a great thing that I think they've put out. I don't think it'll be heavily affected by that either. So your play experience will still be just as good as if you were sitting around the table as well. Yeah. Um, and another thing I wanted to quickly mention before we talk about, you know, kind of where our thoughts in this game is that um, price-wise, and especially in Australia with shipping and whatnot, it's not a thing we talk about too often, but it's worth mentioning when something's either way too expensive than what it should be or a decent price. This is a very good price. This cost me $80 Australian shipped to my front door. And wow. like I said, one scenario took us four hours. There's five in the box. Just that alone, if I just played through just those and that took me 20 hours, you know, I could replay them again. I could lend this to friends. I could sell that on. There's going to be more scenarios later. It is an absolute steal. And the box is quite heavy as well. There's quite a lot in there. So they've done very, very well with that as well. Yeah, it's a nice change to have that conversation about a price being good as opposed to the price being exorbitant, especially yeah. when you're a small island attached to a larger island that's on the wrong side of the planet when it comes to getting cheap games. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Where are you guys from again? Not important. Uh, yeah. We're from this other little country called Tasmania. It's so Never close heard of it. So close to the South Pole, you wouldn't worry about it too much. It's we do have a town called Tinderbox here, Alex. You should definitely know about it. <laughs> yeah, I believe there's magical fires that happen there quite often. So, Alex, you didn't actually get a chance to play this because we just said, just watch some playthrough so we can keep you around and have a chat about it. So what did you think from um, from the videos that you watched of it? I was entranced. I'm, I'm not much of a co-op player. I don't know if you guys have ever heard me on Dice Art, but I hate co-ops with a passion. But <laughs> this one was more probably, again, more about the storytelling than anything else. And the voice acting was was quite good. Yeah, as you said, like all, all the first five campaigns are fully voice acted and they really they gave you that thematic that you really wanted to, to get from it. I, I quite enjoyed the stories itself. So I, I watched two full 
playthroughs that went for about two and a half to three hours each. And the two stories that I watched were, were quite good. In the first one, they didn't quite get the story because they were captured by the bad guys. Um, and in the second one, the, without any spoilers, it, it was about a, a pirate. You, you started working for a pirate boss that looks suspiciously, suspiciously like a pirate that is on the run, um, but with slightly different clothing. And uh, <laughs> it was quite funny to, to watch. So like the first, first thing that they, they had to do was try and assess whether the pirate they were working for was the wanted pirate. So someone had to sort of sneak into the, the captain's quarters and have a look. And as they came out, someone found them doing it. And they had this, they had a lump under their their top because they'd stolen something. And the voice acting was quite funny because they're like, Ah, what are you doing coming out of the captain's quarters? And the other person says, like, what have you got under your shirt? And they go, How dare you? How dare you? My goiter, my medical condition. And like, oh, oh sorry, oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the little stories like that really made it easy and and kept you in that thematic and in the in the mood of what you're trying to do in that story. Yeah, it's extremely light-hearted, even though you know it's piratey, so you're doing piratey things, which can be a bit nasty, but it's very light-hearted. I actually said to a friend of ours, Carl, um, who has a couple of uh younger children and uh, you know i would have said the same thing to garth if he didn't already play this that this game is perfect for like a weekend family getaway if you were to say play the first half of the scenario in the morning or in the afternoon you go out you go to the beach you go have dinner you go mount you know bushwalking whatever else and then come back at night and do the final scenario it is perfect for like that family at the shack or you know a weekend with your mates kind of game yeah look absolutely and it is appropriate you know there's there's no real rude words from what I can remember. Um, there, there's a couple of couple of conversations that skirt, you know, being okay for, for children, I think, in terms of the, the topics that they cover, but that's the pirate life. Yar. Yeah, it's got the Pixar thing where it's clearly there's some jokes in there for the parents, but, yep. you know, they do it nicely enough so they're not really offending anybody so much. So, yeah, no, we, we played it with seven people that had never played it before. Yeah, in four hours, had that break in the middle to we had a, you know, a meal ourselves and then jump back into it. And the people that we played with, they absolutely loved it. And um, it's one of those things that if you're somebody that's really into role-playing or you'd like to be into role-playing, but the idea of D&D kind of, you know, you get a bit scared of it, this is a great moving kind of first step into it because it's so light in the role-playing, but you definitely scratch that itch from it. I found the mechanics, they were just quite, uh, they're not like beginnerish, but it just very simple and easy to use. So anyone could just, like you said, it doesn't matter what age you are, anyone could just sort of pick this up and go, oh, I get it. Adding one into brawn means that all my brawn tests are going to be better. Adding one into whatever else is going to make those tests better. About it, I thought was the little constellation that you do for each pirate and they all have something completely different. Yeah, all the constellations that add to your backstory and add to the way that you're going to play and what you're going to be going after. It gives you opportunities in every different game. And like, because again, try not to spoil it because it's so good, but the character that I was playing, there might have been a curse on him that made him think that maybe he was a bit of a skeleton, but maybe he was, maybe <laughs> he wasn't. And it was, it did not stop being funny for four hours. And any game that can do that is, you know, hitting it out of the park. So this game, I mean, I've always been a, fan of plaid hat games they 
if I had to put um, a name on it, they're possibly my favorite publishing studio. Sorry, Regini, you also. <laughs> um, but yeah, this game is another one that they've absolutely smacked it out of the park. So if they put more scenarios into this version or even in another expansion, kind of like Dead of Winter, where the second expansion for that was basically version, you know, Dead of Winter 2.0, where you just doubled the amount of stuff and just kept going because they don't need to really change anything mechanically, just, uh, you know, more. This is, how, this is from somebody that's played it once, one scenario. I've still got four sitting there that I'm going to chip away at over the years and I'm going to be very happy to do so. Yeah, look, it certainly is the most storytelling of the Crossroad games. This game, it's all about the app, it's all about the storytelling and it's all about the voice acting, which is really, really good. The mechanics of the game are, are almost secondary. You don't, you don't really experience them too often because they just kind of happen by the, the selections that you make in each of the locations you visit. It's just that's the thing that happens and therefore it's going to progress my story. I, I really did enjoy... The fact that I felt like I had, you know, a bit of control over the destiny that I was creating for my character by doing the constellation. But ultimately, I don't think I really cared whether the, my individual um, pirate's outcome was horrible all the way up to amazing because, you know, it's the journey that was the fun bit, not really the outcome. And I really had a great time with my character in the particular scenario, which I think was called The Edge of the World, the first one that we did. And, and yeah, it was just, it was engaging for four hours and, you know, there's plenty of four hour games that are not engaging and this, this was, uh, so I'm more than happy to be um, invited back to Leon's place and play scenarios two through to five for sure. So Alex, have we convinced you to buy it for the family? <laughs> I don't think this is on my list of games to get, but I do highly admire it and recommend it. That's good enough for us. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big old dice man thumbs up pretty much all around. It's a game that I think everyone should experience, even if, as Alex did, just watch the scenario of it on YouTube. I guarantee it'll be a good and entertaining. Yeah. If it has the word co-op on the cover, that yeah. it puts a big X on it for me. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Semi-co-op, though, is okay, yeah? Yes. Well, with that stunner, and that is Stone Cold reference number five or six. We are yet again done for this episode 316. Have you enjoyed the, the wrestling special that wasn't so wrestling special, Garth? Uh, sure. I can I can smell what you're cooking, Leon. That was very close. Who who says that? Uh, Dwayne. Dwayne Johnson. Yes, yes. Otherwise known as The Rock. Yeah. Rock solid joke. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They're all joining in. So, Garth. Alex was a good guest. We did good. How good's that? Well, that, that's pretty spectacular. That's exactly why we get paid the zero bucks to be here. Now, Alex, one thing we didn't do before letting you go is a little bit more self-publication about a little podcast that you do from time to time. Do you want to talk about it or are you too embarrassed? No, not at all. Uh, it is an embarrassing podcast, but I'm quite happy to talk about it. <laughs> um, we have had... A few dice men on. I was going to say all three of you, but Mark is sadly, very sadly for me, no longer in uh, in your podcast. Yeah. Um, I, dice Hard is a podcast. So just look up Dice Hard Pod. And I think Leon has done Transformers. Mark did Top Gun. And Garth, I can't remember. What did you do? I think I did Lara Croft. You did Tomb Raider. 
yeah, Tomb Raider. Raider. Yes. Yeah. That was yeah, that was in a trilogy. That was games into movies into games trilogy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yes. So, Dice Hard, and how, where can people find Dice Hard, and how often can they get their hands on it? Podcast. Uh, we release irregularly at the start of each month, and you just Google Dice Hard Podcast because. It, but Dice Hard Podcast is the one that you want. Excellent. That is good to hear. So, Garthy Boy, another one in the books, in the bag, and out of sight for another. Absolutely. Fortnight. That's why we're here. Look, it's episode 316. We do need to say thanks to LFG for their continued support of this little Tasmanian podcast that screams about board games all over the world. So, Alex, look, thanks so much for spending your Monday night, I think it is, with us from your own little um, secret hidey hole in your own house in the big island of Australia. It's been wonderful to have you on. It's been great to listen to the story that is yours. And um, we look forward to, at some point, getting around a table with you again because you and Leon are still yet to play Terraforming Mars, but that is another story. (laughs) That is another story. I've sworn off Terraforming Mars and I was very disappointed when Leon changed his mind on it too. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it packed next year. I did end up selling it all, so it's all fine. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, Leon, I think you have to be the one to... uh, finish up episode 316 because that's a wrestling thing is, is that yeah. something you've got to finish on a high there's nothing more to say than that that's the bottom line because the dice men said so okay <laughs> anyway <laughs> goodbye everybody bye you've been listening to another episode of the dice men cometh proudly brought to you by lfg australia be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their flagship events, LFG Sydney and LFG Essen Unplugged, as well as their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.